What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short, anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Hey, I'm Michelle Yu, and you're listening to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. From the Gotham Podcast Studio, episode 47 of the Ain't Hard to Tell Podcast, Brian Fonseca, Dexter Henry here. It's been a while since we, uh, just the two of us sat yeah. together yeah. and uh, just talked. Yeah. We, well, we talk. We always talk. But, well, you that's know. true. But uh, There, there are some the conversations podcast. that we have that should be on the podcast that probably can't. <laughs> yeah, that can't be on the podcast for a variety of reasons. Um but it's been what's been going on with you, man? Uh, what's been going on with you, Hurricane Hurricane Man over here? <laughs> uh, I should, yeah. I'm gonna start calling you Gregory Helms. I wish you got that reference, but you didn't. I did not. I do not get that reference. Gregory Helms is a, uh, I guess now former professional wrestler who was called the Hurricane. <laughs> of course, this came back to wrestling. <laughs> you remember, you don't remember the Hurricane? No. Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. You don't remember that? From 2001 to 2005 ish. Sounds bad, but the way you said it said that made it sound like he was black. Nah, so, he was white. Oh, he was okay. white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over two in that department if you're watching the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Ca- Captain Munderland was Captain the other Munderland. one. <laughs> <laughs> totally messed that one up. And it was a corner. But I would understand what. Actually, no. You guessed that the cornerback was a white dude and the wrestler? Yeah, Hurricane. Maybe I'm almost thinking about like, the Hurricane the Boxer. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I, With Denzel Washington? Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Damn, so, yeah, that's, that, damn, that's a, a reference that I didn't do. Okay, so yeah, I gave a reference that you didn't catch, and you gave a reference I didn't catch. Greg, Gregory Helms was, yeah, he was the hurricane. I don't know if, so, did, did you watch wrestling in 2003? No, I definitely was out of watching wrestling in 2003. So, I remember The Rock. Uh, this is when he came back and was bald and was brolic, and he was the Hollywood Rock. He was like a heel character because, you know, he was doing movies and he wasn't full-time wrestling anymore. Right. So when he came back, he was in a little feud with the Hurricane because, you know, The Rock is The Rock and The Hurricane is some ridiculous character or whatever. And The Rock being the gentleman that he is, he sold to him. Uh, the, he, the Hurricane beat him once or twice, eliminated him in a battle royal and all this stuff. And, yeah, that was sort of like the peak Hurricane character. So Yeah, that's why I don't care for <laughs> But I was I was literally in a hurricane. Um, I literally was in a hurricane. And yeah. I will say this before I get into more about this. I know you have questions about this and all. Um, probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen and experienced the hurricane. in my life. Yes. yes. I don't think I don't I don't know if everyone is gonna process like dog. You were in a hurricane. Like I was. Outside, outside, in a not hurricane. not like when we. Nah. What was the hurricane we had in 2012? Sandy, Sandy, not yeah. like Sandy. Nah. You know what I mean? Sandy, San- I was chilling. I had like a couple <laughs> glasses of wine, and I was chilling. <laughs> you know, with family, we were just riding it out. Like, yeah, that's not even. This, a tree fell on my block, but you know, I heard it, but and I didn't have power for a few days, but I was fine. For people in New York and other people, Sandy was. Obviously, bad for New York and what it did. Well, it's and, bad and if you live impact. on. If it's that bad if you live by the L train, right? Or if you lived anywhere <laughs> by water, which I did at the time in South Brooklyn, um, and I had an apartment that was completely destroyed. I think Long Island got the worst of it. Too. But yeah, some of the Rockaways, 
some people, some places like that. Those were very high wins, very intense. If you think what I've taken from this now is, if anybody goes outside and says, "Yo, it's mad windy," I'll be like, "Yo, shut up." <laughs> You ain't seen wind. That's what you told me. You ain't seen wind. You were in winds that were you said close to 150 miles per hour. Yeah, yeah. Now what? Now for people who are listening or watching, what they're thinking is, Dex, how were you outside there in winds that high? And I want to explain and say this, and I said this to you when I talked to you about it. Where I was, I was as safe as you could be. I was extremely safe. One of the safest places you can be during a hurricane is in a reinforced concrete garage. Okay. I was in a reinforced concrete garage on the eighth floor of the garage. Being higher is actually better for you. Um, we mm. were there with the team I was with. We were trying to shoot some video. We were trying to shoot some live shots. It didn't. I had actually tweeted out some video, um, and I didn't even get to tweet out the rest of it, which I lost my phone, and that's a whole other story that we'll work get phone. to. Like, work, work phone. Work phone. My yes, work phone. Yes, um, I now have that back. Um, <laughs> that was but, fast? Yeah, well, they had to send it to me pretty quickly. I was like, yo, work phone's out. They they sent it to me. I had it on I think Monday. I got my new phone. Oh, all right. um, Shout out to AccuWeather. So we're in this garage. Um, I'd been up with the storm from early in the morning. Um, hmm. So I'd seen the rain coming, the wind picking up. I was out there. There's even another video that many people probably saw I put on, on Instagram, and I also put on Twitter and out there where you see me out in the rain, and you can see the storm surge was behind me because I was with right the, near a with beach. With the black coat? With the black coat. Yeah. It, the rain was so crazy. I know people could barely hear me. The rain was really ripping. The winds were crazy. The winds were picking up. When I probably did that video, the winds were probably about 30, 40 miles per hour. Yeah. Within an hour, that was about 60. I was then shooting another live shot with another reporter I work with, Jonathan Petromala. And I was, we were on this dock, and the wind was blowing me. I had to prop myself up against the dock with a camera. To, I felt like I was going to get blown and over. You're, and you're 6'2". 6'2", 190 pounds. Yeah. Guy. You're not a small dude. And these 60-mile-per-hour <laughs> winds, which I'm telling you now, 60-mile-per-hour winds, it's nothing. I'll eat those. It's nothing. 60? 60, 60, 60 is nothing. After wow. after what I saw and when felt. We, when we get 15, 20 in New York, New Yorkers flip out. No. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody complain about 15 mile per hour winds. 15 mile per hour winds ain't nothing. We got 15 mile an hour. We got 15 mile an hour winds today. Yeah. And I was like, Whoo, nice breeze. <laughs> it's cool. It's all good. <laughs> but, but um, yo, it, the winds just intensified. So we, we had to get to this, this garage because- um, one of these, these storm chasers I was with, this guy Brandon Clement, who's incredible storm chaser, mm. had the radar in his car, knows where it's going. He's like, look, we, we are right in this. We were in the eye wall of the storm. Not the eye of the storm, which is like literally the most dangerous place you could be, but the eye wall, which is basically surrounding the eye so, of the storm. Okay. It hit there where I was in Panama City Beach. Now, for those who've been watching, you saw there were much more extensive damage in Panama City, which was further to um, the east and Mexico Beach, which is where a lot of people have seen the images the worst, where it looks like, basically, I hate to say, like a bomb went off. Mm. Um, but anyway, we're there in the garage, and this is the part of the story I'm going to tell that some people find funny and some people might find a little bit sad. Um, the wind is now intensifying. I put some video out on Instagram. You could see how bad the wind was down in the streets. I was watching roofs off of homes come off. I'm seeing pieces of debris just flying. It's it's the craziest thing I see. Now this wind is probably about 80 miles, 90 miles per hour. The two of the people who were in my crew. I can't imagine. This garage was in a condo building. It was attached. There was a little walkway that was probably about 15 feet that took you from the garage to where you could get into the condo building on the eighth floor where the ledges are in the balcony. Yeah. So my two coworkers are standing there on this ledge in the balcony. But 
I decided to go join them. I was shooting some video holding a selfie stick. I only use the selfie stick for AccuWeather to shoot video to keep it steady. I do not use the selfie stick any other time. <laughs> I'm generally not a fan of the selfie stick. Right. But I had the selfie stick, and so I decided to walk across the bridge. As I go across the bridge, the little bridge, like I said, it's about 15 feet. Yeah. And the rain is coming, the wind is coming. Yeah. I got caught in a wind tunnel, and I got caught in a wind tunnel of wind that was probably close to 100 miles per hour. And I told you this already. This wind pushed me and put me on my ass. 6'2", 185. Yo, the wind <laughs> pushed me forward about, maybe I went forward maybe about a foot and a half to two feet. And because it was wet on the ground I was I was walking on, I slipped. And fell. Slipped and fell. If that were me, I'd probably be in the air. <laughs> maybe. I probably would have wound up in Atlanta. Now, it could have been there was a rail there was a railing there, so I'm glad the wind didn't push me hard enough so I went into the railing or like had my ribs get hurt from being in the railing or something like that. I fell, but here's the here's the crazier part. The selfie stick that I'm holding in this left hand. Hi Astrid. Astrid who just in. walked into the studio. Hello, Astrid. Um Come the, on, we need your pictures. Let's the, go. The, the, stop, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to rush her. You should hope he gets blown off by her. Um <laughs> The selfie stick I'm holding as I fell down, the wind took it out of my hand. Phone, I saw my phone and the selfie stick fly over the railing. Gone. Yeah. That's my work phone. Gone. Yeah. My other personal phone was not on me. It was back in the car, so I could not communicate to anybody. I had to crawl to this corner space between these two walls, yeah. which was a good place to be because I was extremely protected from the wind. But now I'm watching the wind off to my side. I'm watching this wind pick up. And then what I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I say to you. That was the angriest thing I ever heard. Angriest, I never heard yes. wind so angry. It sounded like, <sighs> it sounds like a train coming by. I never heard wind so angry. It looked angry. I could see it was going so fast and so much debris was going past me to the side. I could see like everything coming off. I saw street signs going down the street. Like it was nothing. I saw trees. Just break in front Just of break you. Break in front of me. Oh, my God. Down the street. It was insane. <laughs> so you're probably wondering, hey, well, what did you do? Did you try to go back across the bridge to get to your car? No. No. That would have been dangerous. You hit out, right? I had to sit yeah, where yeah. I was on this balcony in this corner between these two walls, watch these 150-mile-per-hour winds for about an hour and 10 minutes before it was safe enough for me to go back to the car. I had to literally watch. I literally watched the storm pass. And what were you wearing? Did you have the black coat? I had, I had a black raincoat with with uh, like rain pants on, to, was covering my real pants so it wouldn't get soaked and wet. Yeah, and I had some black tims on, protecting my feet. Okay, even though some of my coworkers they didn't, they told with the water, you want to walk around in flip flops. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm not doing that. Nah, that's, that's some yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing that. My, now, did my feet still get wet? Yeah, but I'd rather be in some boots than be in some flip flops. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad we know what, what I, I was about. To... Yeah, I was like, no, nah, I ain't doing that. Um, <laughs> But I was still soaked because I'd been in the rain all day. I was soaked. It was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Um, but my I don't heart, even I don't even wear flip flops in my house. My, my heart means why. <laughs> my heart goes out to the people who lost so much there. Who uh, there's a lot of devastation. Um, and now I found out I'll be headed back there. Mm. Um, so Yikes. yeah, I'll be back there to do some more stories with my coworkers. So it, it was it was a crazy experience. I think the toughest part of it was losing power that day, having limited resources to food. And limited cell service, so I wasn't really able to get in touch with family and friends. Mm. Um, there were a lot, so that was the toughest part. And then working all day, energy was drained. So, um, and yeah, you don't have to. You don't have anything to eat, really. Nah, I didn't eat a proper meal for about four days. When I did eat that meal, 
I was at a uh, Outback were, Steak. Oh man, I went in. It was at a it was at an actual hotel, right? No, I went. No, no, no. no I'm saying like you got to stay at an yeah, actual hotel we to, and get food. Yeah, because we went to Pensacola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where I'd flown out of, and actually had food, um, and just slept in a decent bed. Um, what were you eating during those four days? I think people should know that. Pretzels. Yeah. Granola bars. Yeah. Basi- basically, do I the- sound disgusted enough by that? Uh, a little bit, but but it's like it's, it's, it's basically the stuff that you eat when like all right, say you're working at a table for like a game and you're doing like shot clock or whatever or nah, something even like that's, that. Even that's better. Like you're doing that, and that's basically the stuff that you're eating during those games, yeah, where, where it's like a marathon of games over and over and right, over. Right, but when you have to eat this and you're trying to sustain, like the best thing I had, the the best thing I where had, are you getting protein from? Yo, so I <laughs> the first day. I actually before like the power when the power had just gone out I had like a nice turkey and cheese sandwich, so that was like the, the one of the best things I had. And then I think one of the next to last days I had some Chef Boyardee ravioli. Now mm. realizing after having the Chef Boyardee ravioli, which I had not eaten in years, I realized how crappy that was and why oh, I should man. never put that in my body again. Oh boy, um, I used to go so, in on the Chef Boyardee though. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. So when I actually had a real meal. Oh, Man, it felt so good. How did you eat the Chef Boyardee? I feel like people should know that also. Yo, right out the can. Right out the can. Straight out the can. Cold. Gutter style. (laughs) There's no way to heat it up. Like, I ate it right out the can. I had the fork. No microwave. We out here. No microwave. Straight beef. Straight beef and pasta in the can. From the can. Yeah, Oh yeah, and you know I did that. I had a I had a Ashford said did I have some bread on the side? I had a couple pieces of bread because you know I had to get some more carbs, more carbs, there, yeah. Some energy. Got you. And I had like an, I washed it down with a nice uh, lemon lime Gatorade. Let's name this episode <laughs> Straight Beef. <laughs> Pusha T and Drake kind of came back into the news because Drake made an appearance on LeBron James' The Shop, which I finally got to watch. I think the day I got back from Florida, back into New York. I finally watched the shop. I had never watched the first episode, mm-hmm. so I got to watch that episode. And I really do actually like the show. I find it, I find it quite interesting. I wish um, – I did you see the first episode? Yes, I watched it too. I think I kind of have the same issue with it <clears throat> Excuse me, that I had with uh, Joe Budden's The Pull-Up series when it started, which has since been cleaned up, for lack of a better way of saying it. I feel like they're going to go through the same thing where uh, the first pull-up – it was a bunch of people and it was too much like going on or whatever. And I feel like in the shop there you have, you know, Jared Carmichael, John Stewart, Vince Staples in the first episode, Candace Parker was there. You have all these people, people in the episode for sure. But Draymond Green and it's like I want to hear from all of these people, but I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna hear from them more than maybe three or four times within the span of what, a twenty five to thirty minute episode. So I would kind of prefer that it be Keep it a little tighter. Maybe yeah, maybe tone like, down a little bit. I think bit. one of the things that bothered me in that first episode was I remember Michael Bennett was there, and I, I was like, "Oh man, I really want to hear Michael." Barely heard from him. Now they put him in at the end because I remember at some point I was like, "Did Michael Bennett say anything?" Because like I didn't see him say anything. Yeah. And then he finally did. So I feel like the same. I have the same criticism as you. I love the idea of the show. I love. Um, I was kind of like even more of a safe space for minorities to talk about certain issues. Mm. And I thought even John Stewart being in the first episode was dope because John Stewart's somebody who actually gets it. And I met John Stewart on a, on a story doing stuff when I was working for News 12. Very nice guy. Mm. Um, he actually, I think, gets Also a wrestling fan. <laughs> next time I see John Stewart, I'll talk to him about that. Um, but no, I, I'm with you. I felt like in the second episode, because it was a little tighter what they had with the people, you got more out of the people that were there. Okay, yeah. They should, I, I think that's something they could look to. Too many people sometimes, it's like, it's, it's overdone. I, th- I think that's what they're going to do, though. They're, they're just going to continue to adjust to it. Like, going back to the pull-up, they had all those people in, and then after a while, 
it's since become a pretty much a one-on-one sort of interview series, series. for lack of a better yeah, word. I mean, like but- he had Vince Staples individually, T Pain individually. Like I feel like with LeBron, and there's a reason they had Drake, you know, at the end of the second episode, all to himself. They just wanted to sort of hear from Drake, and I thought that was cool. I liked that they did that. Yeah. I thought they, I think breaking it up and having people come and go like you would in a barbershop is actually good. But also, too many people can kill the conversation, and yeah. or, or you might want to hear from people and be like, "Hey, I'm not hearing from this." I thought in the second episode was it uh, like Ella De La Don? Elena De La Don yeah, was, yeah. was was the women's basketball player was there, and I thought she had some cool stuff to say. She only said like one or two things, right? But I think like and yeah, I'd like to hear more from I some women hear, yeah. out of there. I thought Candace Parker had great stuff to say in the first episode. Yeah, I agree, but I wanted to hear. Th- these are the people that I really wanted to hear more from the first episode. Was uh, I didn't hear, actually most of them like Michael Bennett you mentioned. Uh, Vince Staples, you know I want to hear from Vince Staples. Yeah, he said some stuff, but I uh, feel like... He... But he was mostly there on camera, just kind of like next to LeBron. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you'll hear from LeBron. It's his show. But I also want to hear from uh, Candace Parker. Yep, I want to I hear, to hear from, from her. Because she's very, very, very smart. Uh, and she's about to do some great things outside of just playing women's basketball. Yep. Outside of just playing basketball, excuse me. Um, and then the second episode, yeah, Elena Deladon was probably somebody that's top of my list, and Gerard and Jared Carmichael Jared, in the first. I'll episode. tell you, what, I'll tell you what from watching this show. The watching this show made me realize how much more I'd like to see more women sitting around having these conversations in this kind of style. Mm-hmm. I would like to see somebody do something with, hey, some of the women broadcasting stuff out there, Jamel Hill, et cetera. I'd love to see some more women involved in sports and more athletes, women talking about. Because I think it was nice to hear some of the issues that the women brought up. But what if they had more of a comfortable space with women like themselves, like-minded doing this? That would be kind of dope. I'd like to see that. One of the things that have come out of this conversation that everybody seems to be talking about around hip-hop is, yo, are there rules in hip-hop beef? Did Pusha go too far by mentioning uh, 40 and his multiple sclerosis condition uh, in there? Did he did did Pusha cross any boundaries in beef? I know people have very strong feelings to this. He says yeah. he says no. He says in beef there's no rules. And he also wanted to also clarify that where he said this on Joe Bunn's podcast was that he didn't wish death on forty. He just sort of pointed out that he has that condition with the whole six 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 bar. Yeah. With me, I'm like, hey man, it's beef. Like if y'all beef and beef. I think if you're going in it's 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 all open. You can't like people have done like you know, Jay- Jacob Drake apparently Drake mentioned his wife. Right, and so that's the thing I think gets lost in it. Like in the what was that? It was the Duppy freestyle? Drake mentioned his his wife. Drake is trying to and know, they're trying to absolve Drake. I thought it was fair that he said that um that he felt like Drake's appearance circling back to the shop was sort of just one sided and you know a biased interview. He well, said, "Well, I mean, I mean, well, you put him on the shop, you're going to get his opinion. Yeah, of you know, I I don't, I'm not saying like, and Drake is going to protect his image. It's I, it, I expect that. I also yeah. expect." Pusher going back on Joe Budden is protecting his image. Yeah. Like, this is what you're going to do. But he was saying, like, he hated that Maverick, Maverick Carter, uh, was just basically lobbing questions, like, just lobbing stuff to Drake or whatever. Look. I was, but you know what? I take it in context of what it is and who it is and their relationship. Like, I'm not not necessarily, you know, I'm not expecting, uh, you know, sit down like Oprah where she might press some questions or whoever. I don't That's exactly, that's what I was going to say. I'm not expecting. Now, would it be nice to get that? In a certain form, yeah, yeah, but I, mean, I wouldn't expect that. I don't think shop. the que- I don't think the question is Joe Budden and his people on his podcast were going to ask Pusher 
and they did even press him on some other stuff. They, yeah, they, they, you're not going to get that on the shop. You got to understand the you got to understand the medium and the form of what it is. Like it is what it is. Man. Are you are you saying Joe Budden's a little more biased? I mean, a little more unbiased than LeBron James? Yeah, because I don't think I think I agree with you. I th- what no <laughs> in terms of what the show is. I think we understand that if you watch the show, um, and I thought there's some interesting stuff about Drake. Uh, reaching out to LeBron for advice, I found that very interesting. Um, and LeBron texting back, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think Pusher was reaching out to Joe Budden for advice. If you understand what I'm saying, I think Joe Budden is like, look, I'm a former rapper, I'm in this industry, but I'm also working in the media now, and I'm going to ask these questions that I think the people actually really want to hear. I'm yeah. not expecting that on the shop. Now, I think they did ask him some questions that were interesting about how it went down, but like obviously this is Drake's perspective, and we've heard Pusher's perspective. Now it's just kind of about. Who do you believe? What do you believe? How do you feel about what the rules are, if there are any, in rap beef? Yeah, they 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 also have a prior relationship, Joe Budden and Pusha T. We, yeah, we've heard we've heard them on a couple Moo musics. They yeah. were undeserved for thought together. But I don't think <laughs> I, I don't. It didn't. At least it doesn't come across to me uh, like the way it seemed as. Uh, oh no 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 Drake no, 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 and no, LeBron no. is where you know Drake but, is Drake is hitting them. And I don't know anybody. I don't get that from Joe. I get yeah. I get sort of. I guess I get more of a journalist, <laughs> especially now in this yeah. sort of other career that right. he's gone on, as opposed to LeBron James, who's just trying to put out great original content. Which it is. And yeah. and, and like I said, it's it's fine for both spaces and things to exist within the form of consumption of media. There's just I'm not I'm not gonna really criticize Maverick Carter or LeBron for it. I kinda understand it just for what it is and I'm like, okay. Like I know that's what it is. I didn't. I never for once thought they were gonna press that Drake. You could say they should have. Yeah. And I don't even know on what you could have pressed him on. Like he said, what he said is his version of the events. Okay. I mean, we're probably never gonna really know the whole truth. I just think the discussion coming from it, like I said before, about all their rules and rap beef. You're saying, yo, it's whatever. Once you get into this, if somebody comes at you and brings that smoke. I mean, going off I mean, my like, going off my own experiences. Look, if I have beef with like another journalist or media person or whoever, uh, like whatever, like is you, gonna what get, it, you gonna get that smoke? Yeah, it's like what what's really gonna be off limits? I want to know the people out there who's rocking with Conor McGregor, because Conor McGregor lately was even talking the last year from the Barclays thing, which we talked about in this podcast, where well, he had his I whole outrage, and you were there. <laughs> And you hit me up that day. And you were there. we did a podcast that day after. I think uh, I think that day it happened. We did. Yes, we, we did. did. Um, we did. You were like, I left right before yes, that happened. Happened. But I heard about it from other journalists right before it went out, yep. and then I saw it on my phone, yes. and I was pissed. I don't remember what episode we recorded that day. I don't remember, but we did it. Anyway. Probably a good episode, by the way. You should go check that out. But <laughs> here, so here's the thing. Conor McGregor has been on some crazy stuff for quite a while. And if you even go back before that to the Mayweather fight, which nobody should have bought or watched, um, and I did not. But Me neither. I did. I was I, very, I watched Miguel Cotto that night. I was very much. I remember we both watched that fight that yeah. night. I very much was following the buildup to the fight, yeah. the press conferences, all the stuff. And yeah. look, a lot of the stuff was had a lot of racially charged things around it. Mm. And there's a lot of things... I'm not going to absolve Mayweather either because he said a lot of ignorant stuff too. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff... But much less witty than Connor. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, that Connor has said that's been very ignorant and he really is pushing the race. I think now, I know where you're going here. He did the same thing yes. with the fight against Khabib. You're talking about he's this Russian. guy's religion. Yeah. You're talking about his... Uh, where is he from? Which, which, uh, he's like from Gekistan? Dagestan. Or? Dagestan, Dagestan. Right. excuse me. Dagestan. He's from Dagestan. They don't play. 
you're, you're talking, play about, you're talking about his country. Yeah. You're talking about his family. You're talking about uh, his religion, his people. Mm-hmm. And here's my thing. Did I watch the fight? No. But I did see when Khabib decided to climb out, out of the octagon and give that guy the business. Now, Dylan Dennis. Uh, he's Dylan Dennis trains with McGregor. He's a Bellator fighter. Here's the thing. So Let me tell you why I have a problem with Dylan. He, he was calling, yeah. I have a problem with Dylan Dennis. Okay. All right? McGregor's been saying all this stuff. He's kind of hyped it up in his Trumparian way where it's built up to all this stuff and saying whatever he wants. And nobody's nobody's called him out for it. Till Khabib. Till Khabib had enough. And I'm not I'm not Muslim and I'm not a, a brown person, but I you know what? I know you love the violence. And this is why you love <laughs> UFC and you love all although, this. Although, you know what's funny? I'm, what, fi- I'm fine. With what I'm saying. Let me I'm, just say this ahead. real yes. quick because I reacted live and I was like, yo, why did he jump over the cage? Nah, I'm, glad he, jumped, I'm glad he jumped over the cage. And then I since thought about it and have gotten more information. I'm like, I still don't know if he should have went to that extent, but I get, I feel him though. I get it. And remember, I was, full disclosure, I was at the press conference of Radio City. Yes. I was there when Connor was saying, I was posting these clips. I was there when Connor was saying all these things about his religion reli- and all this stuff, uh, cursing out everybody in Khabib's camp. And Khabib's just like, send me location. I'm going to make, you know, uh, October, whatever, six, the worst night of your life. Mm-hmm. And you see him when he's beating on him, when he's in uh, full mount. And he's elbowing Connor in the face. He's like, let's talk. Let's talk now. And then after the end of the round, Connor's like, it's only business. Indicating indicating that he is hyping up that fight, obviously, to make money from it or whatever. But why is it that, again, Connor's in this big situation Mm -hmm. and he loses? Well, it's only business when you had to tap out. Right, when somebody got you I, in the chokehold, I had, co- yeah. I had could be winning that way too. Well, every <laughs> well, what I know is the people like yourself who followed UFC very carefully and closely, okay, and uh, some other people I have friends with who are really into UFC. Mm-hmm. A lot of you guys had Khabib winning, and was like this dude. I didn't really know anything about Khabib, so you know I'm not big into UFC. The first and this you- dude's a monster. Yes, he's gonna give Conor McGregor the business, and he did. He called this whole thing. This whole thing. I was tracking it right. It started long ago, like years ago. They were once, Connor hinted at this in that press conference at Radio City that day, that they were friends even at one point. And I remember at some time, somewhere along the line, they were supposed to fight each other. And Khabib actually called him out uh, after UFC, after his fight at UFC 205, in which Connor was the main event against Eddie Alvarez. It was champion versus champion, featherweight champion versus lightweight champion. Khabib was. On the card, on the undercard, fighting a dude named Michael Johnson, very tough uh, dude, and Khabib won. And it was one of the more entertaining fights that he's had. He still dominated his opponent, but it was very entertaining. Mm. After the fight, he called out Conor McGregor, and it's been going on just ever since then. And that was in November of 2016. Okay. Yeah. Now. Let me get back to what I, where we're going about him getting out the ring. Yes, yeah. Getting out. What's the guy's name that he went after? Dylan Dennis. Dylan Dennis. Khabib went after Dylan Dennis. Yes. Now, flying knee. Reportedly, <laughs> Dylan Dennis shouted at Khabib. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what he said before that, but he basically called him a Muslim rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is what Connor was calling him also. And that's the point in the of, press conference. Right. So this my point to this is this has been building up. He's been saying this all the time. He's been talking about his guy's family, uh his people, his religion. Mm-hmm. He's been saying all this stuff and we are we are now knowing living in this Trumparian society, use that word again, where people <laughs> have been saying this and there's been this disrespect towards Muslim Americans and uh p- people from uh his part of the world, brown folks that look like him. 
Okay. He's heard his rhetoric. He's had enough. We also know that uh, Mr. Dana White. Oh, yeah. Does have some uh, little uh, Trump connections himself. He was at the White House not too long uh-huh. ago visiting his boy. Yeah, I wonder. With Colby Covington. And I heard, I heard um, who said this? I believe this was um, Bomani Jones said this and brought this up on his podcast. And he was wondering, like, I wonder if Dana and Khabib ever have any conversations. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to see how that goes. How do you think uh, Khabib feels about talking to somebody that rocks with Trump that's not really for people I, that look like it's him? It's funny because I've actually wondered that about, you know, dudes like Tyron Woodley. Uh-huh. A lot of like people throughout the UFC. David mm-hmm. Branch, Angela Hill. Do they really mess with... with you see where I'm going? I mean, I see where you're going, but let's <laughs> let's keep all that But aside. let's keep it here. This guy, forget, I'm forgetting, double, double D, whatever his name Dylan is. Dennis. Dylan Dennis. Dylan Dennis. <laughs> this guy says... He calls him a Muslim rat. Yeah. And you heard, Khabib's heard all this, and he just said, yo, I had enough of this. Yeah. Now, I'll say this. We talked about keeping the same energy and people keeping that same energy when it comes to beef. Yeah. It's a lot. It's real easy. Khabib did it. And real nice to say you're a Muslim rat when you're on that side of the octagon in the crowd. Yeah. And Khabib was like, oh, word? Yeah. Okay. You know, you think there's no way between me to just get out here or go out through the octagon door? I'm coming up and over. now. After choking out your boy. Your boy. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't get how you have that energy to talk that spicy when your boy just got choked out and was tapping out uh, in the ring. And was the, dominated. Right? He, may, he probably won just the third round, which, by the way, by many people's standards, is the only round that Habib's ever lost. How, how, <laughs> round. How are you talking like that when your man's just got choked out? Now you say that and it's racially charged, and you call this guy a Muslim rat, mm-hmm. and this guy now among other things, by the way, other things, yeah, that's the kind of the thing that yeah, well, yeah, yeah. when he went after that, yeah. Now, in terms of safety, does the UFC want Khabib, this huge dude, climbing up over the octagon, going into the, the crowd? Yeah, no, we saw the malice at the palace. We know what happened there. We know how people fans were there. The one thing I looked at in here was the fans in this situation looked like they were like, oh. Man, I, yo, this got real. Like, yo, yeah. this got real very quickly. Yeah. Um, Double D, <laughs> what did you have to do when Khabib was coming over the octagon? Because he looked shook. Yeah. He, didn't, he, he. I didn't expect this type of thing. Yeah. I don't think anyone did. Well, you know what? When you keep pushing people, when you keep messing with people, yeah. Um, calling minorities out of their name, talking about their religion, calling them disrespectful names. Sometimes people feel like they have no other answer to resort to than one of your favorite things in the world. Yeah. Violence. That's one of the things. <laughs> that's funny. But that's one of the things I was going to say is that not everyone's going to react the same way, Connor. Like some people, when you tell them certain things and like when he called Nate Diaz a cholo and yep. things like that. Yep. like I remember that. Some yep. people are going to react in a way that. Oh, this is beyond just a business. This is beyond just fighting. Because like, it no, is. this is legitimate animosity. And he sparked that one, yes, to promote the fight. But two, he's been saying the whole time, this is never over. Connor's saying this. This yep. is never over between yep. him and Habib. Yep. This is always going to continue, whatever, whatever. And some people are going to take exception to that, which is probably why some of Habib's people went into the octagon on the other side. And went to attack Conor McGregor, who, by the way, threw the first punch. Now, I don't absolve uh, Conor McGregor in that, but I definitely don't absolve Khabib's people in that. They shouldn't be running into the octagon and attacking a fighter after he just had the fight. But all this being said, I see the rationalization in their heads, not in mine, but in their heads, why they felt the need to sort of do this. 
uh, and I don't think they should have because that's really technically assault, especially since considering you're just beating on a man who just fought. But you know, all of this happened because of comments. Conor McGregor basically started yes. this whole thing. He's been pushing this rhetoric for quite some time, as yeah. you said before, throughout with other people. Now, I, when I was listening to one of recent Bomani Jones podcasts, he did this brilliant job. Not a brilliant job, but he actually put out some sound that I had not heard from Khabib's post-game, post-match uh, conference, in which he said Khabib was basically saying, and I'm paracolding him, it was like, yo, everybody's all concerned about me going outside of the octagon. I shouldn't have done it. He admitted he shouldn't have done it. But why is nobody talking about the constant racial triggering that McGregor and his people have done? And it's always expected upon us as minorities to be like, yeah, you just got to eat that. Yeah, he talked about your race. See, that, yeah, he that, talked about that's your why, religion. That's why I call yeah, people. Yeah, he talked about your family. Yeah, you got to reach that. I'm like, somebody keeps saying that to you. They're going to get punched in the face. That's why I call people off guard. Sometimes people need to get punched in the face. Yes, especially <laughs> in, I don't know, the world of professional fighting. You know what I mean? Oh, you thought this fighter was just going to sit here. And yeah, yeah, it. yeah. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Like, How does it? And, and then, and then a few days after that, um, ironically, Habib is like meeting with Putin, and then Connor's meeting with Jerry Jones, and you know they're kind of just going on with their lives for now. But you know, of all people, <laughs> look, I'm not. A, I am not a big fan of the UFC, and hopefully, we will have a guest up here about the UFC um, pretty soon to talk about. Which I'm always excited to. Mm-hmm. Learn. I'm learning more about. But how we are pushing these things through these fighting sports, because I'll put boxing in this too, how sometimes, look, these fighting sports, a lot of times people rock and root for the people who look like them. I do that all the time. I'll admit it. I do that, I with, do I do that with Latinos. Right. I was rooting for Rob Font when he was fighting Rafael Hassan-Sal, and I knew he wasn't going to win. Yeah. This was a UFC fight I, not that listen, long Listen, this is how people sell these fights, but there's a way. Rafael Hassan-Sal, sorry. People get behind their cultures. I don't and want get Brazilians to be mad at me. But you can't this this when you have people, uh, you know, in the McGregor uh, Mayweather fight, you know, pushing a lot of racial stereotypes and just ignorance. Which, like I said, someone's on Mayweather's part too. Um, yeah, this stuff is really dangerous, and I think this is where you get to the stuff where somebody's like, "Nah, man, yo, forget that. I'm getting up out this ring, and I'm going to beat your ass." Yeah, and. Double D is lucky he didn't get an ass beat. Now I'm telling you, if Khabib had gotten any closer, what was he gonna say? Yeah, because I, I would have liked to have seen him in a headlock and been like, "Say that now." Yeah, I, it's easy. I'm sure he was trying. It's easy to say that when you're on the other side of the octagon mm-hmm. and you know you're never gonna have to step into that ring, so you can just sit on the other side and say. Hey, you Muslim rat. It's like people when they're driving and they yell stuff at you because they're angry. Yeah. I'm like, you wouldn't have that same energy I, outside I'm, this car. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, that, it's like Twitter, which we yep. talked about on this podcast. Yep. It's why people are so emboldened to say things to you just based off of a tweet you have. You know, like I, I've, got, I've been on the receiving end of plenty of, you know, slurs and things like that. I'm sure you have as well. Um. <laughs> I don't think I had, I probably have more so just because I'm on Twitter more. I haven't <laughs> had anybody uh, come at me with a slur yet. On oh, Twitter. I was around election um, time. Oh, yes, yeah, I I, that was. hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they would, you know, they will say that on Twitter. But they will not th- gonna say it. That's why face. I don't get crazy about it. But like, dude, if you're right there and all I gotta do is hop over the cage to get you, yeah. after I just choked out your homeboy, look, man, you're gonna get this flying knee. And then yeah. when I land, it's going to be on and popping. You're going to bring that Hurricane Michael Force power to them. Especially <laughs> if you're Habib and you're 
I don't know, the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Yep. <laughs> Yo, man. I'm you know not, what I, I mean? I am not, I am not here for that. Yes, arguably, arguably at least. Because Daniel Cormier has two titles right but now. But I hope people Still. can take out of the conversation of the beef that is there is like, yo, look, man, this this racially charged and sensitive stuff that people are saying yeah. in, in these fighting sports is not good, it's not cool. And sometimes you're going to get people like Khabib who've had enough. enough. Yeah, and just, just to put a bow on this, uh, do you care to, I mean, you didn't watch the first part, but do you care if a rematch happens? Yo, I got to be honest, man. You know I don't really get down. With you want to see the reach? I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see it, and, and, and I want to see if if McGregor can bring that same energy. Now, look who wants the anarchy now. But no, but from all account, yeah. Here's the thing. But the 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 competition person in me says no, McGregor. You don't deserve no rematch because you you just got your ass handed to you, and now you're you know. Why would it? Why, like, do, like we know what's going to happen. He's not in that's, Khabib's class. That's my thing. And I don't even watch the UFC, and I can see that. A lot of sort of uh, MMA purists. I don't know if I consider myself an MMA purist. Because I'm just a big like fan, and I also cover the sport you when like they're here in violence. New York. Yeah, <laughs> but I like a lot of MMA purists are saying that they don't necessarily want to see the fight because this is like I don't know. This is like a rematch between Mayweather and who somebody he dominated Canelo. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or maybe not so much because Canelo's gotten better, but at the same time with Khabib and with Connor, it's going to be the same thing the second time, and you're going to get you know a lot of the racially charged animosity again in the pre-fight thing. Except I'm just not I'm just not a fan of uh, I'm just not a fan of um, McGregor, so I wouldn't mind seeing him get his. Uh... Yeah, Khabib's suspension still has to be determined, but at the same time. They are gonna make a lot of money off of that rematch if it were to happen. If you, the paper, it, I think. It, how I think about it was pe- the, how about penalizing McGregor for some of the stuff that he's saying too? Like you mm. can't just be having like you can't just say whatever you want. Like that. Like what? Like if what? What do we? T- we talk about how teaching kids that you can't look, be involved in and, violence, but people can't just say whatever they want without there being real consequences. And and I don't see one. I don't think Dana White would. And two. I remember it's interesting because I, we left this part out, but Dana White had said that you know that was one of the most hideous actions ever in terms of really wait, wait, no 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 not that, that, that not that not oh. that Conor McGregor throwing the dolly into oh. the bus and that thing he said that was was he suspended I'm sorry part of it was he suspended after that I don't I don't yeah I don't remember that he went to court he got arrested and that Ooh, stuff but Conor McGregor he went was to court a, he avoided he's now that has to do some community service yeah okay. he, he avoided that he's famous he's you know famous yeah. famous essentially white dude so yeah. he was able to avoid that but basically what what I'm saying is that the UFC then enabled this by I using agree. that I footage agree. I agree. in the pre-fight thing and Dana White his point was that why wouldn't we use that if it's part of the story and this is after he had said that Oh, this is one of the most disgusting actions Part ever. Part of the story. Part of, of the what? story. Connor's rage. No, uh, yeah. Well, Connor's Connor's rage. Connor and Khabib's rivalry. And that that was a big part of it, also because he did that because he was chasing down Khabib, who All right. yeah, who had a run in with one of Con. See, that whole thing happened because he had a run in with one of Connor's people like a day or so before, and then Connor flew in unannounced right. from Ireland. I remember, right? And, yeah. I remember you explaining this to me too. Yeah. But my thing is, I get that people are going to do what they think they need to do to sell the fight. Yeah. What I'm saying is. Sometimes you also have to be accountable for what it is that you're selling just as much as people have to be accountable for what they are saying, yeah. right? Yeah. You can't just walk up to anybody on the street and say something and then be mad if that person punches you in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 
Like, and then you're going to be like, oh, man, well, violence wasn't the answer. No, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> that person probably deserved to get punched in the face. I'm sorry. Like, yes, I, it's a safety issue. People don't want to see this dude running the stands. But what dude said to him, call him a Muslim rat, after everything in the context of what was said before, mm-hmm. dude definitely deserved what he had coming to him. You could only push and provoke certain people, but so far. So much. Yeah. Yep. You before, keep doing. yeah. You keep doing that, then you're really going to have some beef on your hands. Yeah. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Welcome back, Ain't Hard to Tell Podcast, episode 47. We haven't named this episode yet, but Brian is always 47. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bunch of interesting numbers. What, what do we got this time? What I like we... that we do this to start the second segment. Now. Yeah, always. It's I like to break that. it up. Yeah. And it, and it sort of, um, it sort of is a good just starting point for where we're about to go. And it n- knocks things completely off course, which I also love because, yeah. you know, I love anarchy. And beef. so <laughs> And violence. Yeah. So we're going to start off with Mel Blount. All right, cool. <laughs> John Lynch. One of my favorite NFL players through the late 90s. Oh, fantastic safety. Love John Lynch, man. Now GM of the uh, Broncos. Yeah, but I don't think. No, not Broncos. The 49ers, sorry. Yeah, I mean. But I, I'd be surprised if you go with John Lynch just because I don't. I'm not. Just saying I liked him as a player. Okay. <clears throat> Jesse Orozco. Yeah, special place for Jesse Orozco. <laughs> but, uh... but what was that? Yeah. <laughs> You know, he threw his glove in the air before. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> World yeah. Series. Yeah. Howie Kendrick. Very solid player. Johnny Cueto, who I like. Right. Yeah, I like Johnny Cueto. Another former Met, Tom Glavin. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> his Met career was... Um, um, was he all-star? Yeah, but he also didn't show up in the big games in those years mm. when we blew it down the stretch. He... Who was the better Met, Tom Glavin or Pedro? Pedro. Mm. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and Francisco Liriano. Who's somebody I like, who I've always, always liked. I was a big fan of his when he came in. The twins. I was so bummed out when he had that season ending yeah, injury. I know, man. It was him and somebody else who was really good that year. Verlander. Him oh, and Justin Verlander, Verlander came yeah. in the same year. Yeah. I thought those two were going to be sensational for years Injuries. to come. Verlander was for a while. And, still, and then fell off and still is good. Come back and now that. he's back. But yeah. Lariano, I thought he yeah, man. man. I, I basically thought he was going to be like Johan Santana. Yep. Basically, he's a lefty too, right? Yeah. And yeah. they were on they were on the same, same team, team until yep. Santana came to the Mets. Yep. Uh, and the person who I think we're both going to go with. Yes. One of the greatest nicknames in sports ever. Yes. AK-47. Andre, Andre Kurlenko, which speaks to my love of violence because his nickname is AK-47. Yeah, but I want <laughs> <laughs> it's a dope nickname, and I loved it. And people people forget this, man. People really forget about AK-47. Mm-hmm. His days when he was on the Jazz, one of the best two-way players in the league, very underrated defensive player um, with the length he had. And when 
you know, I almost kind of wish he had kind of played more in this era of basketball. Yeah. Where he stretched the floor and he had the length and point. switched everything. Yeah, but AK-47 is my vote because that's one of my favorite nicknames, too. Great nickname. Lock it down. This is the Andre Karolinka episode. But uh, this episode is about beef. And uh, <laughs> some of y'all out there, you know. Oh. Y- y'all don't like. <laughs> I had to look at the rundown. I'm like, where, where are we going? Y'all don't like oh, I know the, where we're going. <laughs> y'all don't like. The, yeah, unexpected beef is good, too. <laughs> y'all don't like uh, the players in college, especially in college basketball. You don't like the fact that. Some of them have been making noise. They want money. They should be paid, um, even though they are getting paid under the table by a lot of people who want to act like that doesn't exist. NCAA. Can I interject real quick? Sure. I ran into another one of these dudes recently who, very nice dude, very nice guy, whatever. But he, <laughs> for those watching, Dex is making Is he, the if face. he's okay with people being exploited? Hold on, hold on. That's not, not necessarily what he said. But he was cool. He was nice to me in person, and we had a we had a nice sports discussion, whatever. And but he is one of those I like the college basketball game. Oh, better, better than, than the NBA. The, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. And I was like, bruh, like, come on! I don't want to see dudes being micromanaged into a system where they're averaging twelve and five, and then they get to the NBA, and it's like, oh, this person's actually really good. Why? Because the NBA empowers its players to play like how they're supposed to play, and instead of averaging twelve and five in college, you're averaging, I don't know, nineteen and eight at the NBA level. Come on, man. What I what I start to think more about when people have made that argument, which we exhausted in the episode episodes ago about this, people like to say the game is pure. <sighs> to which I then would say, what does that even mean? <sighs> and the game is pure. Have you seen everything that's gone on around the NCAA in the last year? <laughs> oh, it's pure. Pure, yeah. Oh, so pure, right? That these guys, we heard we were in a bar one time. We talked about this in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Somebody who literally said. That the NBA players were selfish, yeah, and they were de- they just cared about the money, right? Let's let me say that again. The NBA players are selfish, yeah. and they cared about the money. Hey, you know who cares about money? The NCAA. You know who else cares about money? Me. Yeah. I, right. Like, come on, man. You know, who, you know who cares about? You know who also cares about money too? Not just the NCAA. Oh, the kids that are playing for the NCAA. That's why they've been taking money from these shoe companies and coaches who have been funneling this money. Here's right. We're we are exposed to more information now, and I like to talk about this more information now than we ever have been. So it's very it's easier to you know sort of gain knowledge and get game when you're younger. Now I w- you always say that you wish you knew the things back then that you know now. I wish that when I was playing basketball in high school and that I first of all, I would have wished that I was a lot better, but I would have known I wish that I would have known some of these things that these guys can know now just being in what I like to call the Twitter streets and just being privy to this information where, hey, there's money going around all over the place back then. So there was still money going around. There always has been with the NCAA but yeah. and colleges and things like that. But we didn't always know to what degree. Now we have the information, and now I like that. We're we're gonna get into this G League topic, but I like where we're going as far as like all this. Yeah, stuff. there's the money. When I was covering high school basketball here in New York City for a bunch of years, there's always been money going out. There's always been money going out through AAU circles. There's always been money going around uh, between schools and players, and players knew it. Parents of players knew it. There were parents. There's a parent of a player. And I'm not gonna say who the player is or their family. There's a parent of a player I know who demanded from a school that was interested in this player 
that they get them a home for the parents and family to live in when they came to see the pay or play. Now, probably because they knew they could get it. Yeah. <laughs> now the school actually didn't end up giving. I'm not gonna say the school's name either. They didn't end up. I'll tell you this off camera. The school didn't end up giving. You can't it. give us the school's name. No, nah, I'm not gonna say the school's name. Too tis too too messy, too spicy. Uh, People will start to connect the dots. I'm not gonna do that. People who know in the know, like myself, will know exactly who who and what school I'm talking about. But does it rhyme with blue con? No, <laughs> that's not. They're not not not. I'm at just all. being messy. Yeah. I just threw out a school. Nah, but um, this was going on. This was happening. And listen, if you take kids from lower income situations that know there's an opportunity for them to get paid and how badly these schools want them, I'm not mad at the parents or the kids for trying to get this bag out here. I ain't mad at them. Not at all. What I saw, and I said this last year when we talked about the whole FBI scandal that came out, which nobody seems to care about, (laughs) people, (laughs) because people understand that the kids were getting paid anyway. Yeah. Some people say it's pure. It's a joke. Stop having this sham that this is amateur athletics when we know it's not. When yeah. we know that the schools are profiting, the NCAA is profiting, and then you have these schools, which I find interesting in all of this, that want to act that they're holier than thou. You just had Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, who I respect, come out and say, oh, you know, Benjamin, this is a blip. This isn't what happens at Duke, and then what comes out? Come on, man. Zion Williamson apparently got a bunch of money who now is going to play for Duke. And you're telling me, like, Coach K probably is looking the other way. People were worried about Rick Pitino taking his, his these kids to strip clubs? Really? I mean, they're probably better off. You think that was the first time that was happening? <laughs> oh, we, 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 uh, the Jalen Rose story? I mean, you saw what he said Money about. Money and he sex said, have been used. He said that when he was getting recruited, and yep. mind you, he was uh, he had gone to Michigan in the early 1990s. Yep. He was like, yo, if I didn't get it in, I was not going to that school. school. If I didn't get it in on a visit, yep. <laughs> then I was not going to and that school. And if I was a 18-year-old kid, 8-, 17-year-old kid, I'm going on these visits, and you're basically throwing money and women at me, what am what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going unless the money and the women are better somewhere else. Yeah. And and listen, these schools know that this is the cost of business. It is a business. Yeah. Why is there such beef from people about these kids getting paid? I I listen, man. The NCAA and we don't work in a college anymore, so we can talk about this. Yeah, we oh. <laughs> yeah. Before we couldn't say this, I had to temper my yeah. comments. Yeah. And I would like to say the person that said that comment to us that was in a bar, they worked for a college, <laughs> so we can say that now. But basically, it's like comments were idiotic. The NCAA is still operating under a rule book that's been established in, like, 1882. I'm just throwing out a random year or whatever. But there are people who still believe in these rules. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's these whitewashed establishments who want to keep rules the way they always were, don't want to evolve with times that are rapidly changing. I mean, come on. Like, we've already figured out a way around these rules years and years and years and years and years ago. So now... Let's get into the G League thing. Yeah. You know, this deal that's going on, I love that they're doing this. And a lot of people are giving LeVar Ball credit. Don't know how you feel about that uh, because he established the JBA. And I felt like the NBA was going to go this route regardless. Yeah. The G League was. Well, but the NBA wants to get rid of the one and done. This is their way of smoothing it. Yeah, so basically to, to sort of uh, tell you what this is, they're offering for 18-year-olds coming out of uh, high school elite 
18 year olds so i don't know if they came out with an actual distinction on what and what's not yeah i haven't read that yet it could be just whoever they consider five star guys whatever they have to like come up with that on their own time but whoever they determine is elite can be eligible to get a $125,000 salary for a year in the G League, going from small city to small city, bus to bus, but you get a lot of money doing it for a five-month period, so that's $25,000 a month to play basketball professionally before going into the NBA draft the following year. And you get to learn team systems. You get to learn how to be a professional. You get to be scouted by and people who have already been at the NBA level. You have people that have been at the NBA level in colleges too, but... This time you get paid for it. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, legal ramifications or whatever. And you're also getting an education on what it's like to be an adult. Although that money you might get from the schools is tax free, though. What do you mean? Oh, no, but here's I was I was partially joking. But here's here's what I think uh, elite athlete would do. You know what I mean? Like if I had a a younger brother or a sibling who was elite at this level or whatever, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think this only applies to male basketball players. Um, because Sadly. yeah, but anyway, um, I would say, look, get all the money you can from these colleges and these recruiting things. Get all the money under the table, whatever, and then go to the Canton Charge or or the Long Island Nets or the Westchester Knicks. Or go to whatever G League team that gives you whatever. See, get the most money out of it as you can. What, what you're bringing up is interesting. <laughs> I wonder if there's some players that will play it like that. That's like, hey, funnel me, funnel, fun, funnel me this money. So then I can go, go to your school. Go to your school and yes. then and then decommit and be like, hell nah, yeah. I'm gonna go to hell, professional route. Hell yeah, and, players use. Remember, players used to decommit all the time. Yep. Players used to decommit all the time back yep. in the day. And we forget this because that that period of where players were coming out from high school, yep. 1995 to 2005, players were decommitting all the time in favor of, oh, instead of going to Duke, I'm going to go to the draft. Players used to do that all the time mm-hmm. last minute. And look, I'm all for the players having money opportunities. If the schools are still stupid enough to be like, yo, I'm going to give you a bag of 100, 150,000 just will. to come you, they will because they're so desperate and they're going to see their pro. It's going to be very interesting. They're going to see the problems dying is what I'm going to say, but it's going to be very interesting in the next year to see what elite level or what that term is, what these guys do. Now, there's an argument that could be made that your part of your decision making is going to be like, yo, do you want to go pay for the play for the Canton Charge, Long Island Nets, and travel on these buses to go around these places where you could be at Kentucky yes. and you could still be flying um, pretty well? You can also be on a campus where you're a big man on campus and all the stuff you'll have there, the women, the girls, the you know, the groupies, yes, people, this exists on college campuses. You've been to a big time school, you know this happens. This, exists, this also exists um, on these kids' high schools as well. Schools, schools too, right? <laughs> like, let's so get that straight. The lifestyle could, the argument could be made, the lifestyle could be better in a way for you at college, but what's your bank account looking like? Mm. Your bank account could be looking a lot better if you're playing in the D-League, and if you're really good and you know you can get into an NBA and people can really scout you and see you, that could all change in a bit. So why not, if you're in a lower-income situation, you can help your family quicker. Mm-hmm. Look, you're making $125,000 for five months. Some of these people and players I've covered come from no money, very impoverished situations. That which is why you. they're taking money from college. You're not, <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm taking money from college, yeah. right? But now you're getting this and you're actually going to be in an NBA structure. Yes. Because a lot of schools try to go to places where they think they can develop from the draft. But these, this this place, this G League structure, is actually going to develop you from a draft or have you in with teams and get to see different scouts and coaches and styles that will prepare your game for the NBA game. You want to be a pro, play with the pros. This is what people do in soccer academies in Europe. 
South America, yeah. all these places, it's no different than that. They pay these kids at young ages to learn how to play and be a professional. And I always say this all the time. What did I always say? Why was I very high on Luka Doncic? Because there's something to be said for guys who have played at a very high level and know how to be a pro. And another thing that you always say is the easiest way to learn is to be straight, just thrown into the fire. Yep. Just go out there and just figure it out. And a lot of these players, this is what you're going to get. You're not going to have everything tailored to you with a college system and the structure and things like that. The way the coach wants it for you. Yeah, all the micromanaging. And you got to go to class here. That's what I was going to say. Do you really want to go to Algebra 1 or do you want to play virtually NBA basketball? And to be in an NBA system, like think about it. If you're a kid, let's use the the, the Nets or the Knicks as an example. If you're a kid that's a five-star recruit, maybe you're like the 13th best player in the country, so you're determined as elite, right? And you get a $125,000 deal from, let's say, the Long Island Nets, Mm -hmm. right? You're getting to know... You're probably gonna have to talk, like, have a conversation with Sean Marks, with guys in the organization. You're probably gonna get to know how these guys, how they, these guys, and how they think. You're gonna know a lot of things about the NBA. You're gonna have veterans on your team who have been there. The Nets actually just acquired uh, Marshall Plumley <laughs> for a G League draft pick. So you're gonna have guys who have probably been in the NBA or have played around the world overseas in your locker room. I think, I think one, it's great for the NBA itself too. And it's going to help develop the league and actually having a real minor league system. As as I think there's still only three teams that don't have a G League team. Yeah. So you're getting to that. Now, does this hurt college basketball? Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. you, know what, you know what I want to I'm see? I'm here for it, though. Uh, you know what I want to see? <laughs> All you people who talk about, oh, I like the college game because it's pure. Okay, you watch, you watch that pure, less talented game. Yeah. As the, as the talent goes. If it happens that way, yeah. if players start trending more and saying, yo, I can get this bag in the G League and learn and be better prepared for the draft when I come out. Because what you're telling me, if you're the NBA, some people are going to come with the argument, Brian, they're going to say to us, oh, yo, you don't care about these kids getting education. Hey, man, college ain't for everybody. And but You can get an education outside of school. school. Many different I've ways. I've got more of an education the last two, three years of doing this job and just going, going through the crash course yep. and doing all these things. Yep. Got more of a, Asher can speak to this, too, because we went to college together at St. Francis. We've gotten more of an education the last few years in our fields and our other friends have two that we went to school with than actually in college. That's another. Con- that's a conversation I think is a great point. We could definitely Four years of college and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. dollars where a lot of our friends are in debt. And uh, that's a conversation we should probably hit on one day and another day and talk about that, about why real life experience is important. The same thing applies to professional athletes. I don't know why people act like it's any differently. Get these kids. If you want to be a professional athlete, well, learn how to be a professional. Yeah. Get out there and be a professional and do that so that you can do it better on a high level. And if if you're really investing in kids in that, and I know the NBA is trying to have stuff, and I, we know people have worked in, with, the, with the league. They try to do stuff for guys so they can have opportunities to go back to school in the offseason. These programs do exist. Yeah. So people don't know about it. It doesn't get publicized enough, but these programs literally do exist, and the NBA has done that. So you can still help these young men get an education while also building their craft better than they would in some of these college structures that have shown to not give a damn about them. And sort of back to my point from before, now with uh, all the information that is readily available to you, college 
education probably doesn't hold as much weight as it used to. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, but that's yeah, that, you can Google a lot of things now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to say you should like, get all your like, education on Google, but yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to say that. Co- like, I, is college important? Yes, depending on the situation, your professors you and things like that. Yeah. If you want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, it's not for everybody. But it's yeah, it's not for everybody. And look, if you want to learn how to play professional basketball, you should. I don't know. Play professional basketball, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> like, There's a novel, novel thought there. Yeah, like right. geometry and 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 physics and philosophy aren't too gonna help you. aren't going to help me when I'm trying to figure out how is an effective way to dunk on Jared Allen without getting blocked but, like Blake Griffin did the other night. But it, well, who it does help is all those people that have been sitting up at the top of the NCAA, fat in their pockets. That's who has helped for a long time, and those people don't want the system to change. That's part of the problem. They don't want the system to change. The system is evolving. Revolution's coming. I'm glad. I'm kind of glad. And the NCAA has been known for quite some time to have a lot of corruption involved in it. And I'm not talking about paying the players mm-hmm. under the table. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like that's always been whatever to me. We knew what was going on was happening. Those players should get paid. The corruption is the exploitation of the players, which they've been yes. doing for quite some time. Yes. That's the corruption here. Yes. And nobody talks about that with the NCAA. In the sports with heavy amounts of, of minorities. minorities yes yes college football college basketball because that, that's where the issues are and the most famous college sports by far in this country yep. basketball and football. and football who plays basketball and football the most a lot of minorities you tell do. me a lot of a lot a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people that look like dexter the nba's back uh i was really excited i think tuesday night uh sat down with my daughter watched some of the games um Really excited about starting NBA. If you watch this, you can see I have the the Knicks gear on. The Knicks won their first game. They're one and zero. I wore the gear today uh, because before we record this podcast, they were going to play the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if they'll ever be over five hundred again, or at least five hundred. Or at least by the time by the time this comes out, they will be five hundred or still two and zero. Yeah. So either way, it's a good time to represent. I actually walked down uh, the block of my house today, and this guy was like, "All right, you might be a Knicks fan." I was like, yeah, you think? I was, just, I was joking. He was like, <laughs> no, I'm just trying to match. He was like, when, he was like, New Yorkers do do that. He though. was like, when are you going to wear all this Nick gear again this season? I said, this is probably the last day. Draft day. Draft day. We no. draft day when they have the third overall pick and a shot at Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, or Cam Reddish. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be smart. <laughs> oh, back that. to the G back to the G League thing real quick. Yes, because uh, I just thought of this. Darius Baisley is somebody we have to watch and we're going to watch closely. Yep. He is a five-star recruit who is going straight to the G League. I don't think he I think he missed out on the $125,000, so that sucks for him, but he's somebody who's going to go through the system now and sort of be I guess one of the guinea pigs. So it'll be My interesting eye will to be see. On him. Yeah, cuz if he's averaging 18 and 11, cuz he's power forward. If he's averaging 18 and 11 or something like that, hey man, like he's going to be a first-round pick easily. But back to the whole uh Knicks thing. Uh I know you want them to tank I know you don't want to see uh, Chris Depps Porzingis play a a a, a single set, a uh, down, a, a anything, uh, an I inning. Say, <laughs> I won't say I won't want him to see. If Chris Depps Porzingis comes back like what Paul George did the last couple of years and plays the last 15 games of the season, it gets some run with the team and see how he integrates with some of the pieces, I'm fine with that. If he wants to get his 10 games, wants to get his leg on it, I'm totally fine with that. But what if he's good and they win? That's the thing. You know what? You know what? Let me fall back on that. Maybe it depends on how bad <laughs> we are. Here's at the, time. the thing: if you guys are, I'm gonna paint the picture for you, right? So you said ten games, twenty yeah, games. Let's games. say twenty. Bust Let's say twenty. Down. No, it's too much. Ten, twenty is too much. But but, right, but but what if? He, but I'm saying, what if he's good to go at the early March? 
early March, if you, you have all of March still, and still, a little bit of April, still, that's roughly 20 games. I still think you 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 play it extra cautious and you bring him back for I'm fine with you. What if he's good by January? I'm I'm all about being extra cautious. Because he got hurt game. last year around the All-Star break. He could be good in January. He could, but I'm, like I said again, I'm all about being extra cautious with KP. I think we saw what KP could be. I think at at the worst, dude will be if he's healthy, will be like a B plus so, star level player, but he could have superstar talent. So you protect that. So let me paint this picture and throw these scenarios out for you. All right, scenario one, right? Let's play this game. Let's say it's the early, it's early March or whatever, and you guys are let's see, roughly twenty games left. So let's say sixty games played in the season. You're eighteen and forty two. You sitting him out the rest of the way, even though he's fully healthy, good to go, whatever. Or do you want to see what he has, or how do you sort of manage that situation? I would wait. You're eighteen and forty-two, and the only team with a worst record in the East is the team that I think is going to be historically bad this year: the Atlanta Hawks. They are terrible. Who the Knicks destroyed uh, in the first game? Of the they season. are terrible. Their highest-rated player in NBA Two K nineteen is Tarian Prince. I would like to know who would be like the team that's closest to us behind us at third, who maybe has twenty or twenty-one wins or something like that. And how to factor if that's the case, if there's a team within a couple games of you, I am then keeping KP out at least till the final ten games. Maybe I bring him back then. And when I bring him back, mm. I'm limiting his minutes. I'm not playing twenty more minutes than a game, fifteen maybe mm. max. I'm playing in fifteen minutes a game. I'm rotating him in. I just want to see him move. I'll play him in four minute bursts. Uh, you know, I want to see him get his feet under him. I think that could be good for him. There's value in that. To see, yeah, it, it's I also mean, value in that if you're trying to sell free agents and how he looks. It so could there's also, value in that, and it could also be a confidence thing internally. That like, too. I, I don't think we talk about this enough. Where yes, professional athletes who get paid millions and millions of dollars, they have feelings. And they, they have feelings of downtime. I mean, no, they have down points. They have lows and feelings of low self confidence, especially After when injuries. I don't know coming off a torn ACL. Yeah, and where you can't play for the first yeah. time in your life for a long time. It means something to get back out there in front of crowds and do it and see that you can do it at a level. And then you have some confidence to build up on into the offseason. I need to work on this. Oh, my, I didn't feel good doing this. That's what you need to do. Throw out another one. Okay. This is the scenario I want to hear, right? Oh, God. So they were, you know, torn ACL roughly 8 to 10 to 12 months. He got hurt last February. Uh, we are now in October. So we're talking eight months now. Let's say he starts seeing reports. He's not yet sprinting, but he probably will be soon, right? Let's say he's good to go, I don't know, early January. He's like he's he's cleared for, for contact, cleared the practice, almost ready to go. And the Knicks, let's see, you're almost three months into the season. You're looking at, I don't know, let's say 35 games. Let's say 35, 40 games. Let's say 40 games. It's midway through the season. Let's say 40 games. What if... What's the record? Hold on, I'm giving you the record. What if they're, you know... Oh, they're, they're not so bad. Kevin Knox averaging 15 and fifteen and 7. Uh, Alonzo Trier looks like a legitimate NBA player, not just someone who's playing over his head as a two-way. Mitchell Robinson's playing well. Frank Nielakina's starting to grow into his uh, into his form, what you think he's going to be, and he's a starter. And the team is 18 and 22. What do you do? Do you bring back four tickets? Because, you know, you're right under 500. You're right under 500. Uh, if, if, and and if you're 18 and 22 in the East, even at that point, you're probably looking at anywhere between six, seven, probably seven. Let's not push it. Between seven and, like, ten. Oh, that's tough. I would... do, you, do you bring him back clear for contact early January, ready to go? 
Oh man. <laughs> I would. I'm bringing him back. I think I'm bringing. Him I back. probably would, but I have to know that he was really good and the conditioning was there to bring him back because I like to see how he fit with those pieces. It would tell me Fizdale's doing a good job, and it would see a culture shift. See, that's the thing. I w- here's the thing. I don't think they're that good on the on, like on the on roster wise. But I think the coach. I like the coach. Fizdale. Yeah, your brother. Um, <laughs> I, I I I like the I like the coach. You know what's funny. If the season, I think the Knicks won't be good because of talent roster wise. That's the the stuff they do. But it wouldn't shock me if Fizdale did a good job of getting a lot out of these guys. It wouldn't shock me at all. Now I don't know what that is. Like, like if let's say the Knicks even finished and they won thirty five games, which is no, that, that yeah, no, but thirty five almost it gets you into the playoffs. I have the Nets as the eight seed at thirty eight wins. I think what you're looking for if you're this year a Knicks fan, if you're a Knicks fan, I don't really care about the wins and losses. I'm not necessarily even focused on like they have to tank. It's just more of like, yo, are they playing hard? Are they developing? Do these pieces fit around KP? What can they do? Like, that's kind of more of how I'm looking at it. And then whatever happens, happens. There's no expectations for me. I'm just watching, like, whatever ha- I'm just looking to see how these guys are playing. I said that when Howard Beck was here. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, the scenario brought up, mm. yeah, I'd probably want to bring him back. I don't think it's totally unrealistic but, either. But I think you have to be very cautious. And the Knicks, the Knicks have to – everything with this, what you do with KP – I'm going to trust the team. I've, trust, I've trusted the leadership and what they've been doing thus far. I think they just have to be a little bit cautious. You've never seen a guy of this size come back. If he's ready, fine. If he's not, I'm also fine with that. If KP doesn't play this year, I'm fine with that. I would like to see him play a little bit so he, for his confidence because okay. I think that matters. Um, but we'll see. Let's get into NBA awards. Real quick in the season. <laughs> uh, excited about the season. Uh, took a look at the Lakers last night and LeBron NBA awards. Uh, who do you have? Uh, LeBron is kind of a lot of people picked him for the MVP. You have him for the MVP. This I year? have him for the MVP. Yes, and I'll tell you that's what. the one that I told you. I was like, I have a good one for that. My my, can, do are we allowed to have backup options or dark horses or no, anything like dark that? Horse. My dark horse will be Anthony Davis. Mine is Kawhi Leonard. Oh, I could see Ooh. that. Well, I just want to call <laughs> Anthony Davis a dark horse. I like that with Kawhi Leonard. Let me tell you what. I, let me tell you what. I, let me tell you a couple things about the Lakers real quick. And I watched one game. I know they lost to Portland. They've got to get better defensively on the interior. They're going to need another big. Yeah. And the lack of shooting is going to hurt them. But what they do, what's really good, they can attack. Yes. And they pass yes. very well. Yeah. And they move the ball very well. And they have a lot of guys that can pass. Ingram is a solid passer. LeBron passes fantastic. Rondo's great. Ball is great. Even Lance Stevenson can pass, which is a very underrated part of his game. The one They just got... Portland got whatever they wanted inside on them. They could score, and they were hitting them with the threes outside. I didn't think defensively on the perimeter they were bad in this game. I just was like, damn, they could anybody could yeah. score on them inside. And it's still early, but I mean, Cle- Cleveland, we sort of we sort of Cleveland thought that, was awful defensively. But last we year. sort of thought that they would get it together because LeBron and all that stuff. And then after will. after a while, that never happened. Happened with the Lakers. This team is more talented. Yeah. And I do, but I agree. These are the problems. These are the problems. It's really early, but these are the problems that we figured they would have. You can add shooters. They'll figure out more stuff with their spacing. Yeah, Le- I- you got Le- when you trade for LeBron the player, you also get LeBron the GM. There were th- yeah, but there were <laughs> things I liked seeing out of them that I think people may not maybe undervaluing with that team. And I think LeBron can lift them up. And I'm with you. I think LeBron can win the MVP this year. I would also say I like your picking Kawhi Leonard as a dark horse. I like Anthony Davis. I think those mm-hmm. guys should be in the mix. Anthony Davis came out bald in the first game, um, and that New Orleans front court looks really good. I know it's one game. I'm not trying to go crazy with the stuff. Let's check this back in a month as we watch more stuff on League Pass, and and we'll see. Uh, who do you like? Do you, who do you think can win Coach of the Year? Oh, 
Ooh, come back to me. You got one? <laughs> you know who's been? I thought I would have given. Luke Walton? <laughs> no, no, I was going to give it to Luke Walton. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think, I think you're going to go with the same one. Go ahead, go ahead. I The person I would have given a vote for last year that I didn't was Quinn Snyder. On yes, the jazz. yes. Um, I, yeah. I, I like yep. the jazz. I'm very high on the jazz. I think he'll finally get his due. I think they may crack over 50 wins again this year. Um, I think he's a really good coach. He's brought a really good system. Agreed. Another example of a coach who the team stuck with after two losing years and still gave him an extension because they believed in him and his ability as a, in the culture, and he's done a good job. I'm rolling with Quinn Snyder. I think Quinn Snyder, man, is my favorite. I mean, Brad Stevens might get it if the Celtics run away with the East, but yeah. Amin, I, Amin El Hassan on Lebatar show said that he thinks the Jazz could be the second seed in the, yeah, in the West. Yeah, I think they could. And we've talked about that yes, with Howard Beck, and we were like, could. yo, and like I sort of, I, I love the thought of, Golden State versus Utah in the playoffs. I, I love like that. that. Yeah, I like it. So what else we got? Six uh, man coach, of the year. Six man of the year. Um, I got to dig a little bit deeper into this, but I especially Dinwiddie off the bench for the Nets. He's got a shot. The first this, game he had like tw- I don't remember the exact stat line. Something like twenty five points, six assists, something I'm, like that. He took D'Angelo Russell's minutes and crunch time. D'Angelo Russell was I just in think the fourth the, quarter. I just think the best person that can score off the bench in NBA right now that like I trust is like an instant microwave is still Lou Williams. Yeah. So I'm probably gonna give him fantasy. And, and so I got yeah, both of them. <laughs> and fantasy. Ah, nice. So I I, I I like him off the bench. It's hard. And Eric Gordon will always get his minutes and numbers. It's guys who can get minutes and put up those numbers. So I like it. But Spence is definitely out of shot. But you know what? Fred Van Vliet didn't put up crazy numbers, and he, and he got was, votes last year. Yeah, like third, he finished third. I'm not yeah. sleeping on Lonzo Ball, uh, potentially like yeah, having would. very good production off the bench. Where you see games where he's having like ten, seven, and nine. I can see that. You know what I'm saying? And that team's gonna run. They can. That team can run. Like as we talked about that. Um, That's somebody that Lonzo Ball. He's somebody that I've thought about. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie is somebody who I've objectively thought about. Right. You know what I'm saying? No, he's got. Like, I think he's got a legit shot at it. Um, rookie of the year. Kevin Knox, if they keep him there, also. <laughs> yeah, rookies is hard to forget rookie, that award. But rookie of the year, Luka Doncic. I think so too. Luka Doncic. I just think he's the best player. I've said that before. All you guys, teams are going to regret that they passed on him. I've been saying it. I've been saying it again. The guy does a lot of things well. He can shoot the ball. He's heady. He can pass the ball. The Mavericks are going to love him. It allows him to play Dennis Smith Jr., where he's actually better off the ball. Yes. Um, I've been, I also said that, too, last year, and all yes. you guys wanted the Knicks to take Dennis not Smith me. Jr. to be the point guard. <laughs> um, I'm not saying Dennis Smith Jr. is bad. I'm saying he's better off the ball. It's going to help Dennis Smith Jr. Um, Donkic is really good. DeAndre Ayton will get enough touches and numbers on a very bad Suns team that I think will help him be up there as well, too. I'm intrigued to see how is and so with Marvin Bagley, he'll get a lot of touches and numbers too. Um, but I think the best rookie is going to be Doncic. Most improved? Do you have one? I feel like I got to think more about this, but I do think I, I legitimately believe that. I believe Nets players when they tell me Karis Levert's going to make that jump. The first, the first game of the mm-hmm. season, 27 points matches a career high. I'm like, I know it's the first game, but. Look, I'm, he's I'm, somebody who, all right, I'll tell you this, because we had our Nets Daily Roundtable, right? So with Karis LeVert, he averaged 12 points, roughly four assists last year, about three-something rebounds. I have him this year up to like 17-something points, probably like five, six that, assists. That kind of gets that kind of will get you looks in that award. That'll get, and over two steals a game. You know what I mean? I think it's six assists and five rebounds, something like that. I'm going to say also, too, on the team, if Spencer Dinwiddie continues or improves on a little bit, you know, what he had in the first half of last year, 
that could happen. I'd look at him. I'd also watch out in the leadership role Tobias Harris on the Clippers. Ooh, um, I could yeah. see his game taking a little bit more of a jump. I, you know, I like Tobias Harris. He's steadily improved each year. The three-point percentage has gotten better. Um, now he'll be asked to do a little bit more with Doc in the system. And he's kind of like they don't really have a guy there in the Clippers, but he kind of could be that guy. Wouldn't shock me if he averaged 20 or 21 this year. It's not a huge jump, and it's not the jump that you really like to see. Yeah. But I could see that happening um, for him. I could see that, too. I also want to tell people, don't sleep on the improvement that you see from Frank Nielakina and putting together a more all-around game this year. Not a lot yep. of Nick fans with that take. I will yep. also throw Brandon Brandon Ingram's name out there, Oh, too. yeah. You know because what's funny? He might, because, you know, with LeBron there, I know he's a favorite right now, but. I think he's kind of my favorite. I think we're making a jump. Probably mine, Well, He can still get to the basket really easily. He passes very well. Um, he's gonna be. He's the person I think is gonna benefit like the most out of LeBron. I, I'm very high on Ingram. I've been high on him since out the draft. Um, we'll see. I, I think it's good. So that's kind of we'll an our, our awards. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens in NBA season. I'm just happy basketball is back. Yeah. I don't know how good the Knicks are gonna be. Basketball is back, and you know, hopefully soon we have some more rivalry, some beef in basketball to bring it full circle to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we need some more beef back in basketball. So it's 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 very early. But I'm very excited into what this season is going to be. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, league, right. I'm going to need the league pass when I take some more trips uh, to Florida and places around. You know, I'll be watching basketball whenever I can. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's NBA basketball. NBA basketball. <laughs> the purest basketball there is. <laughs> All right. Yo, that's a wrap for episode 47. We want to remind you, as always, um, definitely please support us. Uh, you want to support us, you can hit us up uh, with Patreon. Become a Patreon subscriber. We'll have extra content for you on this. We want to thank you guys for your support. We also now have a survey that we've put out. We've put in this episode that we have out uh, a survey. And some of you guys have already filled it out because we put it out on uh, Twitter. It's a very brief survey. It gives us feedback on what you guys like about the podcast, what we can do in the future. It's in the bio of our Instagram page at AACT Podcast. Yep. It leads you to surveymonkey.com. The survey is there, and it takes literally like one minute. It also will be in the notes of the episode of this show. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are consuming this, you can find that too. So just please give us your feedback. We greatly help it. greatly helps us in what we want to do. Uh, so that's a wrap for this episode number 47 to Andre Karolinko, AK-47, full of violence and beef. Is exactly <laughs> what this episode was. He's Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, peace, y'all.